Well, hi everyone, my name is Matt. I am the Danville Cornerstone Campus Pastor, and I'm so excited that we get to do church together online. Normally at this portion of the service, someone will say we're one church at five locations, but today, because of COVID-19, we're really one church at thousands and thousands of locations and living rooms all over the East Bay and really all over the world. And our mission as a church is to help people take their next step with Jesus. You see, we really count it a privilege and an honor that we could come alongside you and help you take your next step in your faith journey. And we believe that every single person has a next step to take with Jesus, whether you've been following Jesus for four decades or maybe just the last four days. We think every single person has a next step that they can take with him. And so a good question to ask yourself today is, what's the next step that Jesus is calling me to take? In a moment, we're going to move into our time of giving. But before we do that, I just want to take a moment and say thank you. Thank you for your generosity because it really is making a difference. It really is making an impact and helping hundreds and hundreds of people. I could share story after story with you about how your generosity is helping others. Let me just highlight a few of them. Just a few weeks ago, we became aware of a need at one of the local school districts where some of the under-resourced students and some of the families that were struggling uh, indicated to the district that they were counting on the food that their kids were gonna get while they were in school. And so we became aware of that need and we told some of the community groups in that area. And within two hours, three community groups were able to raise over $3,000 in Safeway gift cards. And by the next day, that total had raised up to over $7,000. And what I love about that story is how quickly you responded to meet that need. And recently, we've been able to come alongside some small business restaurants and some local hospitals in the area to provide for their staff lunches and dinners. And I got to be at one of those hospitals and they were getting a nice catered dinner that you helped provide. But I wish you could have been there because this one particular hospital, their night shift, you see, they weren't really receiving many donations from the community. And I wish you could have been there to hear how much they appreciated you for your generosity. And recently we've been partnering up with another church. This other church has this great food pantry ministry and they're helping so many families, literally hundreds of families that need groceries. And they're helping well over 850 people. And that's just with how they distribute the groceries once a week but they're also feeding people once a week that show up for dinner. And what I love about you, Cornerstone, is that you're donating your time and your energy and your resources to help out this other church and to make a difference in their community. And I could go on with so many more stories. So thank you. Thank you for your generosity because it really is making a big difference. But here's why this matters. Because one day, this COVID-19 situation, it will be a story that we tell. It'll be a story that we tell because one day we'll have moved past it. One day we'll be beyond it. One day we'll be looking back on it. It'll be a story that we tell. It'll be a story that we tell to our kids and even our grandkids. So let's make it a story worth telling. 
Let's make it a story worth telling by how we continued in our generosity. And because of our generosity, we were able to meet need after need, not only here in the East Bay, but all over the world. Let's make this a story worth telling. Well, we are so glad that you are here. We're so excited that we get to worship together. Welcome to Cornerstone.
We're going to continue singing in a minute. But before we do, one of the worship practices that all of the worship leaders have been doing in our meetings and now also in some life groups is this writing acrostic exercise. So grab a piece of paper and a pen, or if you have your phone or your computer in front of you, just pull up some notes so that you can type some, something out. And what I want you to do is write out in big letters one word that you think of when you think about God. And write it down your page so that you have room to write out a cross from each of those letters like an acrostic. And this idea comes from the psalmist who writes Psalm 119, where each stanza of that psalm begins with each letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And so this is our version of this by taking each letter of what we would write one word about God. Maybe today God has brought you joy. Maybe he's been your hope. Maybe he's been extremely patient with you. You would write that word down. And then for each one of those letters, write a thought or a word or phrase, a sentence about God in an act of worship to him to tell him who he has been for you. So as I continue singing now, take your time to do this exercise. And if you're watching online, oh wait, we're all watching online. And since we're all watching online, you can write this down in the chat that's on the side of the screen. Or if you're on Facebook, you can put that in the comments here. And let's fill our minds and our hearts with his praise, with worship for him. Let's fill up these screens with these words that we believe to be true about God today.
bringing these words to our minds to remind us of who you've been for us. I pray that you'd feel honored by all these words, all these prayers, all these affirmations for you. We love you and give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you so much for joining us in worship today. It is so good to be doing this together in our own spaces. The one thing that's hard about all of this is this, this, this distance that we feel from one another. Distance is defining way too many things right now. Whether it's the loss of a job or the loss of a dream or even the loss of life. And these things are so out of our control, but they create this feeling of distance that's dissonant and unsettling. And we're all challenged by this. We're all facing this form of distance. And unfortunately, right now, as we're feeling this heightened sense of emotion, there's an even more tragic form of distance that we feel that we're having to face. It comes through the carelessness of our words, a thoughtless comment, something provoked in anger where we say the wrong thing to the people that we love or to the people that we're supposed to be loving towards. And instead of reducing this gap, we're only creating a greater chasm between one another, creating a greater sense of distance. But today, specifically today, we're thinking about another form of distance that was chosen by these women and men who said goodbye to family and friends and they left their homes and even this country to face something really challenging and hard and they would never return. They chose distance for the benefit of you and I to experience freedom and life and joy. They chose distance to the degree where they sacrificed their lives for us. And so today, this Memorial Day, we remember this choice. We remember these women and these men who chose distance for you and I. And in many ways, this mirrors Jesus. Jesus who left heaven to come to earth who here on earth formed beautiful relationships with women and men who would follow him, who would be his disciples. And even with them, he left them and encountered a cross and experienced suffering and pain to the point of death so that we all could experience life. And so as we're thinking about distance today, as we're thinking about these women and men on this Memorial Day who've given their lives. Let's honor that by choosing the right kind of distance. If there was ever a choice for us to make, let it be the kind that is always for the benefit of others. Today we remember, today we're grateful and we're thankful for the distance that these women and men chose for us.
today we are going to be studying Psalm 77 together. And as I've poured through these verses this week, there are some things that I've been wrestling with, and, and I'm curious if you wrestle too. For me, it's around the idea of what is happening in my life and how often I question God as a result. Do you ever wonder why God lets bad things happen? Does suffering ever trigger you to question God's presence? Does pain ever cause you to ponder God's power? I experienced some of that earlier this week when I went through some significant hurt. Um, I could relate with Asaph, who wrote Psalm 77, and asked questions like, will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? For me, this all started on Monday evening when I walked to my kitchen for a post-dinner snack. And when I opened my fridge, I somehow cut my left pinky finger on the fridge door. I don't know if you can see it. Um, but a little blood came out, and I could feel my, my heartbeat pulsing through my finger. And I just looked at the heavens and screamed, why? All right, seriously, how embarrassing is that? Like, like is that not the most quarantine injury a person can get? I didn't like sprain my ankle playing basketball or, or hurt myself doing some home improvement project or anything like that. No, I cut my finger on my refrigerator door. So indicative of our current reality. Now, while my pain was real, it still hurts a little bit, uh, it's not really significant. It didn't actually cause me to question God's love. But I've had many conversations in the past two weeks where I've asked God, Where are you in this? I know plenty of folks who have lost their jobs and don't know how they're going to provide for their family. I know people who have lost loved ones and can't get into the hospital to say goodbye. I've talked to people whose relationships have ended and processed with them the pain that comes from that. And then there are those of us who haven't been all that negatively impacted by this pandemic. I mean, we may have been convenienced, but our livelihood, physical, and mental health have not been jeopardized. And maybe that has caused some of us to feel guilt and really process what is fair and and not fair about all this. We we see the plight of, of others and empathize with their pain. And at times, at least for me, I wonder why God is allowing someone else to go through something that I'm not. Right now, the the main question I hear from people in every scenario, regardless of where you fall, is where is God in this? It's very similar to what the psalmist writes in the first nine verses of Psalm 77. You can go ahead and turn there on your Bible or or Bible app. I'm going to be reading out of the NIV today. And follow along with me or read with me. Psalm 77, starting in verse 1. I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out untiring hands, and I would not be comforted. I remembered you, God, and I groaned. I meditated, and my, my spirit grew faint. You kept my eyes from closing. I couldn't sleep. I was too troubled to speak. I thought about the former days, the years of long ago. I remembered my songs in the night. My heart meditated and my spirit asked, will the Lord reject forever? 
Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? Have you abandoned me, God? Do you not love me? It's so similar to the questions I'm hearing and attempting to process with people right now. Where is God in the midst of suffering and pain? Now, before we even begin to ask those questions, I think we need to start with a different question. Why is there suffering? I mean, we all know that suffering and pain has connected with folks on different levels when it comes to their relationship with God. For some people, suffering is the reason they turn to God. Like they went through something difficult or terrible or tragic, and, and the only place they could go for hope was God. While for others, it seems as if suffering is the reason they choose to not have anything to do with God. If God is all-powerful, then how could he allow suffering? If God loves me, then why would he ever let this happen to me or ever let that happen to someone else? In 2004, the Indian Ocean earthquake and, and tsunami killed around 200,000 people. Over the next few weeks, the newspapers and, and magazines were filled with articles asking, where was God? Where was he? I mean, even in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic, I've heard so many different faith-based arguments on why this is happening. Some folks are saying that this is God's punishment on, on the world for, for us falling away from him. And I've heard others say that this has nothing to do with God and this is just part of being human. Which, to be honest, I don't necessarily agree with either of those. For one, when we start speaking of God's punishment, it's very easy to start falling into a karmic way of thinking. Kind of like that what goes around comes around mentality. But the problem with karmic theology is that it blames the victims for their plight. And it's not always the victim's fault for what they are suffering through. The myth that good things happen to good people and and bad things happen to sinners, is something that, that if you cling to it, your faith will eventually fall apart. Because here's the reality. Everyone sins, and everyone suffers. And the reason why is because of what Paul writes, the Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 5. Just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. What Paul is saying is that there is a universal relationship between sin and suffering. And we know this from the personal lens because we each know that we sin and there are consequences and things that happen as a result. But we have to know that there is a universal relationship between sin and suffering, that, that sin entered the world and death despair, tragedy, illness, pain followed. This is why we feel how wrong suffering is. Look back at verse 3 of Psalm 77. There's this word that the poet uses that describes this feeling so well. He writes, I remembered you, God, and I groaned. 
Paul writes in, in Romans 8.22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. We've been groaning ever since sin entered the world. Just this, this pain that produces an, an inarticulate sound of despair and hurt. And I love the analogy that Paul uses, groaning as in the pains of childbirth. I remember before my son Jericho was born and my wife and Amanda, uh, my wife Amanda and I went to the, the birthing classes and, and they were telling us how Amanda might experience some discomfort. They didn't want to say the word pain because pain is too much of a bummer to say. So as the husband, it was my job to, to hold her hand and help her focus on her breathing, which to that I thought, she's, she's been breathing her whole life. Is, is she going to forget all of a sudden? I don't, I don't understand. And, and I was supposed to do all of this so that I could prevent her from feeling discomfort. Well, when the day came for Jericho to be born, I think Amanda felt some discomfort. And I did everything I could. But the horrific sounds that came from deep within her as she was giving birth to our son hurt my ears. And she was squeezing my hand so hard that it was painful. Like, Amanda has no clue what I had to go through that day. But I saw and I heard what groaning looks like. For those of you who have given birth to a, ch to a child, you know this pain. You know how much it hurts. You've groaned. And that is what creation has been doing ever since sin entered the world. And our groaning can oftentimes produce those questions about God. Have you forgotten to be merciful? Are you withholding your compassion? But this is where we go back to that other theory I mentioned, that this is just part of humanity and God has nothing to do with it. Sometimes that's an easier way to explain things. But I would argue that God has everything to do with it. A little bit later in Romans 5, Paul writes, For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? When Jesus came, someone more powerful than the universal consequences of sin had arrived. Death reigned through one, life reigned through another. And the way he conquered death, the way Jesus reigned over sin, was not at a distance or removed from human suffering. Which, in every other faith system, God, or the gods, remained distant but the Christian God experiences human existence and suffering with us and for us. He has everything to do with it because he feels all of it. Christians, we, we believe that the worst thing that could happen to a person happened to the best person. And as a result of his suffering through life and through death on a cross, Jesus empathizes with us in our suffering. God takes our pain and suffering so seriously that he was willing to take it on himself. I mean, Jesus lived on this earth for 33 years. He could have gone to the cross for our sins and rose from the dead in a week. 
but he chose to atone for our sin over the course of 33 years to feel everything we feel. I mean, he's even felt the same abandonment the psalmist was feeling in Psalm 77 and groaning about. When Jesus was on the cross and cried out to God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why is this the circumstance you are turning from me? I mean, if someone you, you kind of know says she never wants to see you again, that hurts. But not as much as when someone you're dating says the same thing. And that's not nearly as painful as a spouse or a parent saying they don't want anything to do with you ever again. But as Timothy Keller writes, we cannot fathom what it would be like to lose not just spousal love or parental love that has lasted for, for several years, but the infinite love of the Father that Jesus had from all eternity. Jesus' sufferings would have been eternally unbearable. But we know that the abandonment Jesus felt was short-lived. Redemption, reunification, reconnection was just on the other side of the cross. And this is where we have a leg up on the psalmist because we have that same assurance. Look at what Asaph writes in verses 10 through 12. And remember before this, he was questioning God and, and kind of processing all that grief and pain. And, and then he says, but then I thought, to this I will appeal. The years when the Most High stretched out his right hand. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. So as the, as the psalmist is processing his grief, which, quick side note, uh, I kind of feel bad for these poets and writers of the Psalms. It's like we're reading their most intimate and honest moments with God. It's not really fair. It's kind of like when you'd steal your sister's diary and threaten to read it to a bunch of people. Like, that's, that's what we've done. We've taken their, their diary, and it's been read to billions of people for thousands of years. So thank you, David and Asaph and Sons of Korah and the other psalmists. I'm not sure you knew you'd be making that sacrifice, but, but we appreciate it. Um, but I think that's what they teach us. We see their most intimate, raw moments with God, and we learn that God can handle us venting to him. He can handle our questions. And we see that as Asaph is, is questioning and, and processing his grief, we, we see a shift happen right here in these verses, 10 through 12. He goes from, where are you, God? Have you forgotten me, Lord? Which, which are okay questions to ask, questions God can handle, and that's an okay place to be. But for Asaph, it shifts from that to, I remember your provision. I remember your compassion. I remember what you did in the past. I remember your, your goodness, which we can do in the midst of our suffering too. But because of Jesus, we not only have a past we can glean from and hold on to, we also have a future. And by no means Am I minimizing the past and what God has done, especially in your life and in my life? As we keep reading through Psalm 77, we see in verses 13 to 19, the psalmist recounts how God has worked and moved throughout history. He remembers God leading the Israelites out of Egypt and, and how he pushed back the waters and, and redeemed his people. And what I love about this reference 
is that even in the midst of that whole great experience for the nation of, of Israel where they were delivered, they still suffered through incredible pain and despair on the journey, wandering through the desert, thirsty, hungry, lost, confused. But, and don't miss this, their pain gave way to greater good. And it's the same thing we see at the beginning of time. When sin entered the world through the one man, like we, we read from Paul earlier, God was, forced, uh, God was faced with the question of evil and suffering in the Garden of, e of Eden. And he could have robotized creation or, or he could have just eliminated them and said, I'm done with this, we're not going to do this anymore. But in doing so, he would have sacrificed a greater good, the loving relationship with humanity. You know, I don't necessarily know all the reasons why, but maybe God allowed evil and suffering so that the greater good could exist. And just as the psalmist shifted his thinking and, and grieving, I hope and pray that we can make a similar shift. Because one of the things that I think we see when it comes to suffering and, and trials we go through is that it oftentimes leads to something good. It's like what Paul says in Romans 8, 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Or in other words, pain gives way to greater glory. As I was thinking about all of this, I sent some thought to my parents, thoughts to my parents, which I always do when I'm writing a message, just to let them process with me. And, and I've always felt like I haven't dealt with pain super well in the past, and I'm even uncertain how significant my pain really is. But I know the pain that my folks have gone through throughout their life and how they've processed and, and what I've learned from watching them. And I wanted them to share it with you. Well, I'm joined by my mom and dad. They're at their house in San Diego, and they are pastors at a church down there at the church at Rancho Bernardo. How, how long have you guys been there for? Uh, 25 years almost. 25 years. That was the church I grew up in and loved that church, loved the people there. And uh, oh, my dad's name is Ken. My mom's name is Pam. And uh, I just got done kind of sharing with our church that I believe that pain gives way to greater glory. And I, I think if you look at people's lives, they would say that in order to achieve success or to experience joy or to really step into whatever it was God has for them, a lot of them had to go through significant pain and suffering to get there. And so the question that I have for you guys, and I know you've helped me process this message a lot. You've been working very closely with me as I've gone through this and given me a lot of feedback and things to think about. But would you also agree or, or, or not agree, would, what would you say um, to the question, as you, as you think back over the course of your life, do you have evidence of this, that pain gives way to greater glory? Do you have evidence of this in your life? Definitely, from about the time you were born. Can you explain that a little bit? Well, I can. It wasn't the physical aspect of it. You know, obviously, it was physical pain in your birth, but it goes way beyond that. It was all the emotional and mental suffering from that moment on. So, Got it. There so, it is. Part of this is that our daughter Brittany was born after you, and we got to see God's glory in her. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, like, I turned out okay, and you could see God's glory through that. But no, it was that my sister came along, and now all of you are seeing what my childhood was like, that I was obviously not the favorite one, 
um, that my sister is an angel and a saint and everyone looks at her as, anyway, I need to not, I could go there for a while. Uh, but seriously, what, what would you say? Have you seen evidence of this pain giving way to greater glory in your life? Yeah, I, I think definitely. Um, when you ask that question and even before you've asked that question, we looked at your message and kind of began processing this with you. I've thought about that a lot in my life and it, it all goes back to uh, my sister's death when she was 22 years old and I was 32 at the time. She was killed in a car accident, you know, suddenly with two others and man, <laughs> there was a whole lot of pain. There was a whole lot of pain for my family, um, for me personally, for our community, um, or, you know, with small town um, in Indiana. It, it was really, really hard. And yeah, you didn't see God's glory right at the beginning. There are a lot of questions. And it was over time that I've seen God's glory. Um, I think I've seen God's glory through people that she went to school with and friends that the trajectory of their life changed. You know, some of them have left business, went on to the mission field. I've seen others that we're not following Jesus at all that do, you know, and now I have a family that they've rooted in following Jesus. Um, so yeah, I think I've, I've seen it long-term. Um, and even today, you know, what I do for a career, I see it when I sit down with someone who's just lost a loved one. Um, while I don't know firsthand exactly what, what they're going through, I've experienced that kind of a loss. So I can empathize maybe in a way where others that have never experienced loss or wouldn't be able to. You said, you said it wasn't at first, but how long do you think that process was before you were starting to identify like, oh, I see God's, I see God's glory in this. I see God's goodness even in this. Yeah. I was asking a lot of the question, are you a good God that first year, the whole full first year? And uh, we had a lot of late night conversations about that. Why would a good God? And yet, um, at the end of that first year, I was falling apart physically and emotionally because I could not bring her back. And I was watching my family fall apart. And I, it wasn't honestly until I could physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually get angry with God. Let him know what I felt. And then I began to see just little glimpses of his fingerprint on people's lives. And, uh, you know, I still see that process, but it, it didn't happen overnight. It's the wisdom that comes as we continue to endure our pain. Mm -hmm. We see people God's glory. And I don't think we feel guilty about those times where we're in that season because God acknowledges that. And he's, you know, like you've said to me before, you can't, can't hide your thoughts from God. He knows. So be honest with them and then process with them. So I think that's just to your point. I think that what you say makes me believe that there's purpose to our suffering, that there can be meaning in our suffering. So maybe not neglecting it, but um, embracing it in a different way and, and allowing that to, to shape us in God's image. Um, and that's why I think I can, I can say wholeheartedly that I fully believe that pain does give way to greater glory. Um, Dad, what are your thoughts on this? Well, it's interesting, you're the, that statement you just made, pain gives, gives way to greater glory. I mean, for me, without pain, without evil in this world, there's no way for me to be, begin to grasp the greatness of God's glory. 
If there's no pain and evil, then how do I understand how good and how great God's glory is? It's like people, you know, they ask the question, uh, why would I worship a God who allows pain and evil to exist in this world? And I actually think we need to flip that question around. If pain and evil did not exist in this world, why would I worship God? Hmm. I mean, why would I need him? I wouldn't need to be redeemed. I, I don't need a savior. Why would I long for heaven? If there's no pain and no, no suffering and no evil in this world, why would I ever want to leave it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think there's like an awakening that happens when we experience pain to that to that same point. And it reminds me of a, of a C.S. Lewis quote where he says, um, uh, pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And I wonder if our world is like on a global scale, if we're being, um, if, 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 God is using this experience to kind of uh, awaken us to his provision, his, his being, who, who he is, and all, all of that stuff. Um, what, what would you guys, how does God shout in your pain? Huh. I think for me, the biggest way God shouts is saying, I am here. And he promises he'll never leave me, he'll never forsake me. And in the midst of whatever I'm going through, I just sense God saying, I'm here. I mean, a lot of your church uh, people are your congregation aware that I have cancer. I, I refuse to call it my cancer because I don't own it and I don't want it to be there. It's an uninvited guest, but it's there and uh, I have it. Uh, but the question that people often ask when you know, a loved one gets cancer or a loved one passes away, or why me? Or any time. Any evil, any suffering takes place in our life. Why me? And I actually turned that question around and go, why not me? Evil exists in this world. Suffering exists. Pain exists. But through that, I get to see the greatness of God's glory. Wow. Well, I think you handle that a lot better than I do. Um, so good for you. Uh, even with your, your diagnosis and everything you've gone through, I've, I've struggled with that on your behalf, but your courage and bravery and, and confidence and hope as you've gone through it has been encouraging. Um, what about you, Mom? Well, I think, me too, I struggle with that sometimes, I think, more than he does. And they say sometimes watching a person you love go through something like this is harder on the caregiver, the spouse, you know, the person walking alongside them. And um, yeah, I definitely go through my times, but I think at this stage and as I've learned that you will see God's glory no matter what happens, I've learned to have peace that peace that passes all understanding. I think I'm finally getting a picture of what it looks like. God still, as Ken dad says, God's got this. And I know that uh, we're sitting right in his hand, no matter what happens and that he's going to use it for his glory. No matter what. And um, I think it's, it's how we process it's that deep abiding joy. It's not about happiness anymore. You know, life, happiness is fleeting and life is not about happiness. It's about that deep abiding joy, just having peace. Amen. Yeah, I think what you guys are saying, it just, it makes me realize that we don't go through pain in vain um, because there's, there's something better on the horizon. And when we know that as followers of Jesus Christ, we know that, but it, it kind of helps us to view our pain differently. And, and, you know, in our suffering, we still remember that there's a future for us. So, 
Well, I appreciate you guys. Thank you for taking time. Sorry, I don't have an honorarium for you or anything. You just did this for free. So. Jericho down to see us and it's all good. Okay, that'll be a payment. We'll bring Jericho down. All right. Love you guys. Thank you. Love you too. Bye. God didn't cause it, but he is going to use it. There is greater glory on the horizon. So thankful for my parents. You know, with Memorial Day coming up on Monday, uh, I always spend some time reflecting on some of those we have lost, those who have sacrificed everything so that we have a future. I've shared before that I had a good friend lose his life in Afghanistan, and so I think about him a lot and try to think about everyone who did something I am so grateful for. And this year, I decided to spend some time reading firsthand accounts of people who lost their brothers and sisters in arms during battle and how they've dealt with that. And this led me down a Google rabbit trail that eventually took me to firsthand accounts of prisoners of war. I read insight from people all over the world and was captivated by it. But there were two former POWs that really stuck out to me in light of current suffering and future hope, what we're talking about. Both of these men were held captive in the Hanoi Hilton during the Vietnam War. And one of them was Navy Captain Gerald Coffey, who said, who said this about his time in prison. I prayed a lot. At first, I expected God to do everything for me. But when I realized that this would be my life for a while, the nature of my prayers started to change. Instead of praying, why me? I started to pray, how can I change? I love what he says there. That he realized that this is what life would be for a while. It's, it's a process and a journey. Like my mom was saying, to get to this place where you start asking different questions. So if you're still in the why phase, if you're still venting with God, that's okay. But know that as you, can, as you continue to cry out to God, it will begin to shift. And if that's true, then maybe we start trying to understand how we move from asking why in the midst of terrible, miserable suffering to begin to process what is this producing in me? How can I change? How can I grow? Well, I think the words from another POW at the Hanoi Hilton, uh, Navy Vice Admiral James Stockdale, and maybe you've heard of the Stockdale Paradox before. I think what he has to say helps with this. Here's what he writes. This is a very important lesson. You must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end which you, can, which you can never afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they might be. The, the paradox that Vice Admiral Stockdale is presenting is that if you want to survive, you can't avoid confronting the reality of your current suffering or circumstance while also losing hope that you will prevail in the end. You have to have hope and you have, to, and you have to acknowledge what is real at the same time. It's learning to dance with what is and what could be, should be, or will be. Holding both reality and hope together at the same time. Holding both the, the stress and anxiety I'm feeling from distance learning with my kid and knowing that summer break is coming up soon. Or like my mom, holding the pain of a lost sibling and knowing that God has and will use it to encourage others and that God will eventually redeem all of it. It doesn't minimize the pain or the confusion, but it also doesn't reign over our hope. So we hold both of them together 
at the same time. As Paul writes, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we were saved. Followers of Jesus know the one who reigns over life, the one who conquered death. In this hope, we were saved. But it doesn't mean that we aren't groaning that pain and suffering isn't real. I'll close with this. As Jesus was days away from being crucified on the cross, he he gathered his disciples together and, and he compared their grief and eventual joy to a woman giving birth, which I can attest to firsthand that after Amanda's groaning in childbirth, she knew joy when she held Jericho in her arms. And so after that analogy, Jesus says to his disciples, so with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. So what are we asking God? Are we asking, why the suffering? Where are you? Do you not love us? Which is okay if you're there. But have you considered the shift toward asking, how are you changing me? Can you help me grow? Will you use this suffering and pain to produce greater things in and through me? Because here's the truth. Pain does give way to greater glory. We have a future. Jesus said to his disciples, in a little while, I'll be gone. Things won't be right. Terrible things will happen. Hunger, illness, pandemics, corruption, pain. But just a little while after that, it it might seem like a long time to you, but in the scope of eternity, it isn't. A little while after that, I'm coming back. Pain now, but in the end, joy will prevail. When that happens, you won't be asking me anything. Until that day, We attempt to ask questions that lead us toward greater glory. Like the psalmist, we remember the past, we confront our reality, and also hold on to hope all at the same time. When we do, I I believe we can confidently sing to our God what we're about to sing together. I will sing of your goodness. I will sing of your love. You, God, have always been faithful. You are good. Amen. I love you. I miss you. So glad you could be here today. Let's sing together.
faith journey began, every season of life that you've walked through and where you are at now, I fully believe that God continues to prove to us that he keeps on getting better. He continues to exceed our every expectation. He is better than we could have ever imagined him to be. So let's sing that together. You keep on getting better. You keep on getting better. You keep on getting better. Thanks for joining us for church today. Before we close up the service, I would actually love to ask you for some help. You see, over the last couple of months, as we have been meeting together solely online, we've seen God do incredible things. We've seen a life transformation continue to happen. We've been able to reach people we never would have had the chance to reach if it wasn't for our current circumstances. And as incredible as this time has been, we're also really looking forward to being able to think and, and plan through strategies of what it would look like to regather together in person on all of our campuses. And so that's where I need your help. Uh, your voice matters to us. And so we've put together a short survey. It'll take uh, less than five minutes to complete. You can click the link below to get there. And we would love for you to fill it out and share your opinion and your perspective uh, with us in regards to what our regathering strategy should be as a church. And you know, whether we are meeting online or we are meeting in person, we know that God is gonna continue to use us as a church to help people take their next step with Jesus. We know that we'll continue to see lives transformed here in the East Bay and around the world. And that is largely in part uh, to you and your generosity. And so thank you for supporting the mission of this church, not just with your words or your actions, but with your resources. And if you haven't had the chance to give, I wanna encourage you to do that uh, today and continue to be a part of uh, partnering with us in making a difference in people's lives. 
Hey, have a great week, and we'll see you next week in church.